All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 157. It's Tuesday night. This is when we'd love to hear from you. Been a good one. It's been a heck of a week. A lot of stuff going on. I mean, we had obviously Saturday's games and then we had what happened with Mel Tucker. So it's been a, a particularly busy weekend and week. So again, if you'd like to join the conversation, you can just hit request from the Twitter app and be happy to let you up and hear what your thoughts are in this college football week. So again, my name's Bobek Hayeri. I'm your host. We do these every Tuesday night to talk about college football. Let's see. Lots of things going on. We can talk about what's going on with Mel Tucker. We can talk about what's going on with the Pac-12 temporary restraining order filed by the remaining two teams. Keep what they are fearing the other teams are going to do to them. And then one last note just before we start. I always like to take a second and recognize the passing of a young man who was playing for Sacramento City College. Um, Justin McAllister, a player for them, apparently passed away during conditioning drills today. That was being reported out of uh, Sacramento Bee and other sources there. So just wanted to, to say a moment to, to give our thoughts to all of those, his teammates, his coaches, and his family, of course. So all that said, Andrew or John, whichever you want to unmute, we'll go ahead and hear what your thoughts are. So I guess my question just regarding the last two weekends now, we've seen two um, frank, frankly, uh, two programs that really dominated the last decade, um, you know, Bama and Clemson, taking, uh, I would say, pretty uncared, uh, unusual losses for them. Um, even considering the last couple of years, I think it's kind of unusual to watch th- both those teams lose so early in the season. Do you think there's anything going on? Um, you know, is there maybe a single factor, you think, really, that, you know, complies for, for two teams like that? You know, with the with the more loosening of the transfer rules with the transfer portal or NIL rules that you think are maybe that uh, or uh, you know more uh, teams like Bama or Clemson are not keeping up with you know that's a really good question and there's been a lot of kind of discourse on that certainly the criticism that Dabo's had at Clemson a lot and it's one that he's addressed and and I believe he addressed again actually this week was that he's been very slow to adapt to many of these rules especially he's not a fan of the transfer portal He's very hesitant to use it. Um, I believe he actually had a quote this week that was, I would have been long gone if I ran this program the way everybody else wanted me to. At the end of the day, you have to have conviction in what you believe and understand that some people are going to like you and some people are not. And that was Dabo's quote. Because again, a lot of folks want him to, to adapt quickly to some of the things that are coming up and he's been quite resistant and quite vociferous about it meanwhile if you look at coach Saban he he's he will grumble a little bit but he will adapt the moment he sees value in any new thing he tends to lean into it fairly hard and mostly because as we've talked about and as books have been written his his main focus has always been recruiting the very very best and when by recruiting the very very best he can do. He knows he can do so much more, and that's something that was striking. I still remember there was a book written last last year that came out last. I want to say last fall, and one of the anecdotes of coaches who knew him when he was an assistant said the only time they ever saw him like get emotional and even tear up is when he had lost the recruiting battle, and that was how important it was to Coach Saban. So he's been willing to adapt. He always kind of does that look. If you guys want to change the rules. I'm not trying to impersonate how he talks. You know, if you're trying to change the rules, I'll adapt and you'll all have to deal with Alabama with this new weapon in its arsenal. So they both have, I think, different approaches there in that while Saban tends to hesitate, he tends to adapt. And Dabo seems a bit more on the resistance side, which has created some tension. 
you brought up an interesting question of is it is talent catching up everywhere? One of the uh, the more interesting points I actually was reading in an article this week, and it's one that that's been discussed, is the transfer portal has allowed um, the SEC to be kind of I wouldn't say robbed, but I mean if you're in Alabama and you bring so many blue chip players in you're inherently going to have guys who aren't happy because you can maybe play 30 of them pretty well. And then you're going to have a bunch of, of folks who knew how good they were um, suddenly become disgruntled. And that may give opportunities to teams that may not have been able to win the high school recruiting battle to go into the portal and pull some of these guys through and, and they can play in other places. So that was one theory that, you know, the reason that we're seeing, for example, the SEC did not have a good week. Um, The Mississippi schools, were the highlight of the of the conference seemingly this week, and a lot of these other programs that were taking them down, uh, the other programs were heavily reliant on on transfer players, or at least had some key positions that were coming out of the portal. So perhaps that's part of you know it's if you look at it historically, the whole reason they had scholarship limits was because there was historically some teams were just loading up completely on some talented players. And uh, and there weren't any for anyone like you could have a roster of like 100 players and never really have to play any of them. But you're keeping them away from your opponent. So that's part of the reason why scholarship limits were put in there, um, especially, you know, at the FBS level to where they are now. And what we're seeing is an opportunity. And, you know, to some extent, you always wonder about that. Like, here's a here's a fun historical one. Like, let's say, you know, uh, Dwayne Johnson, the rock, he's always said, you know, I, I, I was recruited to Miami and then. You have an all historic defensive end come. Or I can't remember. He was a D lineman of some kind, but somebody gets ahead of him, and then so of course you know his his college football career didn't really work out. So he he found clearly a much more lucrative career in um, not pro wrestling necessarily, but acting afterwards. But imagine if the transfer portal was back then. Then would he have just transferred to like another school from Miami because everyone knew he was good enough for Miami, and and you know Miami in those days was excellent. Would that have actually led to uh, someone like The Rock actually ending up uh, playing a successful college football career at another program? It's kind of fun to imagine that. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's a good question. I think, frankly, there's a lot of factors going into that. I think of Alabama, you almost were, everyone was kind of almost waiting for this year. It's, it's weird to say, like, is it a down year? Is it a blip for them? With Clemson, it's a little more people are frustrated because over the years, Dabo's been getting a lot of criticism and pushing back just like that quote that I'll do it my way. And I mean, there's nothing wrong about a head coach you know, doing what they want to do. But it's as one of, I remember one of the, uh, the top discussion points that was brought up by a member of our CFB, uh, North Carolina fan Reservoir Dogs. He's like, you know, using the transfer portal as a hill you're going to die on just seems odd. But th- that's what some of the thoughts were on that. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't do himself really any favors to be, you know, well liked outside the Clemson community. So, I mean, I just, I just don't think that mentality works. I think, you know, it's you really, I mean, even I mean, maybe at a top flight program where you know you you get the best players every year, but I mean, any other level of even of even of this uh, division of football, it doesn't really work unless you really go for the for the portal now. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I just wanted to credit uh, Ski Mask Smurphy, one of the listeners. He added a comment in the box. Basically, like, yeah, Bear Bryant was the reason we have scholarship limits because he was the one doing that. That kind of having those games with just loading up an enormous roster and not necessarily playing everyone, but keeping playing keep away with some of that star talent. You know, I see, Andrew, you've been able to make it up. would love to hear from you. What's on your mind? Hey, can you hear me now? Sure can. 
Oh goodness. Okay. So I don't. I'm not. I I feel like I know quite a bit about the situation with the with the pack two with two two pack as it were. Um, but man, this divorce is going to get nasty, isn't it? Because I mean, you're looking at there. It's not just as simple as you know Wazoo and Oregon State, you know, taking on all the assets that are left over. If it were. You know, I think that it would be, I don't know, easier to sort out. But what what assets does the Pac-12 really have? Aren't they being sued for like $60 million by Comcast? They're being sued by the Holiday Bowl. They're being, there's all sorts of like, you know, stuff like that. And are they going to be taking, are they that desperate to, you know, to take on that, <laughs> those debts? Are they going to be paying those? Is that going to be distributed throughout the, you know, the other 10 that have departed? I mean, the whole thing is just so, so messy. And yeah. I think you've absolutely nailed it. It is a complete disaster and a mess because obviously the news that kind of was entertaining some this week because a lot of folks were, were following this on Twitter is that Washington State and Oregon State actually took the Pac-12 to court to get a restraining order, a temporary restraining order, because their belief was, um, and this is where it gets interesting, the, uh, Klyovkov, the commissioner, was going to have a board meeting this week on Wednesday. It was supposed to be uh, tomorrow. And so the Wazoo and the Pac and Oregon State in county court, I believe it's uh, Whitman County, which is, I believe, the county either Wazoo is in or proximate to it, decided to have a temporary, ask for a temporary restraining order, arguing that they were afraid because basically the conference had rules to prevent teams that were departing from doing things that were adverse to the remaining teams. This was actually instituted the previous year after USC and UCLA said they were leaving. So the Pac-12 said, like, no, we, we, you guys cannot vote on any uncertain subjects anymore. You're, you're no longer, there's a conflict of interest. You don't have the interest of the conference at heart. And, okay, that, that's a reasonable take. And I'm pretty sure US, USC and UCLA didn't really care because they were coming to the Big Ten. Um, so now with, 10 of the, with now 10 of the teams leaving, and only Wazoo and Oregon State left, they're under a genuine concern that now when the rest of the group gets together to vote on things, they're going to be voting for things that benefit the 10 that are leaving and, you know, basically hosing the two that are left. So that was the gist of the fear. Now, when you file for things in the legal action, you, you ask for, you, you sometimes shoot for the moon, you ask for a lot of things, and, and who knows what a, a judge or a jury will buy. So they were asking for a lot of control. They wanted to make it so that a lot of decisions could simply not be made. However, the judge, because both both sides had to argue in court, the Pac-12 was able to at least get the judge to allow the conference to take actions on day-to-day -day business needs. Because one of the concerns was if the asks that Wazoo and Oregon State were putting in might accidentally, well, or intentionally, cause a delay in figuring out simple compensation things for employees of the conference. And it was a concern that that would just hasten the demise because suddenly a bunch of employees are going to realize there's no guarantee I'm going to be paid again. Um, and they would all start to bail and then the conference would implode faster than anyone expected. So that was part of what was, was, was being litigated in that, in that motion, that call for a motion. So ultimately the judge was convinced that the Pac-12 cannot have a board meeting without court approval. So now a judge has to say, okay, you can, you can have that meeting. And I, I assume, um, I haven't read the details of it, there may be some requirements that the judge has to see the minute or the plans of the, of the schedule and things like that to prevent some kind of tomfoolery. But to be honest, another part of the problem is 
this is all speculative. There's been nothing said that the, the teams were going to get together at a board meeting and do something that was going to harm Wazoo and Oregon State. But I don't also entirely blame them for their concern because, as you pointed out, there's active litigation going against the conference. You know, there, there's a question of, you know, because, I mean, frankly, the idea of whether the conference is even kept together is, is there going to be enough money to, to make it worth that? If you're going to be potentially dealing with legal liabilities or, and no, no company or organization likes to have open litigation on the books, it's a mess because you don't know exactly how much you're going to pay out or if you're going to pay out at all. Um, it's going to be an interesting question for you know whether or not they expand and whether the Pac-12 simply loads up from a, some of the G5 and becomes kind of a, a new version. Of, I love it. maybe they should call it Tupac and Friends or you know the new adventures of Tupac, um, <laughs> Cougar and the Beave or, or something like that. I don't know. It just seems to to have fun with that, you know. But all I know is at the very least those two schools are doing well on the field. So no matter what goes on off the field, and gosh, there's so much going on off the field, the fans at least have something to, to cheer them up in a really, really kind of anxious time for, for both those schools. But that's, it's a good question, and, and you're right. It's, there's so many moving parts on the value of the conference and the potential liabilities for the conference. And, you know, and I don't necessarily blame the lawsuits that are coming, because if you made a cable deal with the Pac-12 network and it's about to implode, or you made a deal with the conference and the conference has now completely lost its value next year, at least significantly different value than what you were bidding on, um, that is something that makes a lot of sense, at least from a legal standpoint, if you're one of the aggrieved parties. But yeah, it's a great question. In your eyes, though, I mean, because they're talking reverse merger with... The Mountain West, assuming that happens in some form or fashion, you add the Mountain West as is and form, you know, Broke Pack Mountain or whatever. You got those guys together, you go back to the table with whoever and try to get the – regardless of what kind of money they can get with some sort of media deal, I'm sure someone could pick them up. But do you think there's any shot that they're considered like a power conference with that get up, even with these two teams performing as well as they are and even with Boise in there? No, realistically, I, I, I have trouble seeing that because they would need to establish a much bigger footprint in terms of... Because, I mean, yeah, you'll have a couple of really strong teams. There are some solid teams in the Mountain West, no doubt. I mean, Boise State, even though arguably they're really going through an, a downtime, there's still some potential there with you know Fresno State. Well, they had kind of a... They're, they're still undefeated, but that, was, that last week was a little bit scarier than expected against an FCS program. But... Um, I'm not sure, you know, San Diego State's going to be there. You're going to have some decent enough teams. San Diego State was clearly attractive enough for the Pac-12 to flirt with them until the conference exploded because Klyovkov had no idea how to, to manage things. Um, is that, I still can't believe they almost had San Diego State and SMU, and instead the whole thing implodes because they there's, there's going to be so much written about it. I mean, we've only begun to, to read about how mismanaged that closure was. But, um, no, I don't think realistically if if there is a reverse merger, because I mean, that's a problem. I mean, and uh, historically Wazoo and Oregon state have solid years and there've been years where they've been excellent. I still remember the uh, early two thousands, Washington state going to the Rose bowl, being basically a little terror all the time, challenging, you know, USC. Well, which was at the time not doing very well to be the top of the conference. So really competing with, you know, UCLA and, 
um, the slow beginning of a, a new Oregon program that is now obviously a stronger program than it is than it was in those days. Um, I think neither of them bring enough to to pull the whole pull those who join them all that much higher. I mean, you could argue that you know the the as a whole their ships will rise, but rising to the level of being a P five, I don't think that's going to be realistic. At least the other conferences aren't going to be happy with that because there, to some extent, you have to have the other conferences see you as a peer. And with the discussions that we've heard that are going to be happening with the uh, um, the revise, I mean, they're going to look to revise the playoff. Um, the twelve team playoff is certainly coming next year and the year after that. But again, it looks like we're going to probably see a shift from the five. Uh, I should say the six top champions, which was in- implied to be the uh, P5 plus the highest ranked uh, G5 conference champion to probably a four plus, you know, uh, you know, the top four plus one. And then in the Pac-12 is going to be, you know, in that group, as well as then just some uh, one more at large team. That seems to be where we're going there. And the reason I mention that is that kind of gives you an idea of the opinion that the other P4 or, you know, however you want to cut them or name them at this point are viewing the state of the Pac-12 next season under any circumstances. Because, uh, again, I think it's hard to say the addition of, of the entirety of the Mountain West or you know, picking and choosing from the Mountain West and the American could build something that could be at that level. I don't, I'm not sure that's possible, and I'm not sure they have. Uh, it, it would be, ever be considered that. All right, that was an interesting one. <laughs> again, I just also want to say, if you'd like to join the conversation, by all means, hit request. We'd love to talk to you. I know I saw you you unmuted, Andrew. Did you want to add something to that? No, I just wanted to say thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. No, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. So let's see. I mean, again, there's so much going on in college football. The one story that obviously kind of took everyone by surprise, including from what it sounds like the people at the university themselves, the administration, was the whole fiasco with Mel Tucker uh, at Michigan State. I don't, the story came out depending on what time zone you're in early in the morning or late at night. And Mel Tucker apparently, and the crazy thing is he's admitted so much of it in the story that he, with Brenda Tracy, the, the, uh, the advocate for victims of sexual assault, he did some just abhorrent behavior over the phone. And um, what the interesting thing about it is the timeline that we were kind of shared is that the, um, sorry, I'm just pulling up the, one of the comments I read about. Yeah, there we go. So they had that presser and I I did listen into it with both Michigan state AD and the president, uh, the interim president, because again, they've had their own scandal in recent years that, and the presser was handled not that well because a lot of reasons, and, and I'll, I'll just quickly dissect that. They, Howler, the AD, made it very clear that they received allegations against Mel Tucker in late December of last year. They then, and again, from the press conference, they then immediately started their system, which they have for dealing with accusations of the allegations like that. They hired an independent investigator who started their own process and by July 25th, the recommendation was issued by the independent uh, investigator. And from there, they agreed that there should be a hearing. And so, therefore, they, through their process, arranged for a whole formal hearing that was going to be scheduled for October 5th. It's still scheduled for October 5th. 
And that's how they described it. The the went through the motions of saying Michigan State is focused on conducting a fair, thorough, and unbiased investigation and allowing the processes that they've set up to play out. And that that's a safe answer. That's what you would kind of expect. Um, but then what was interesting was during that press conference, that was when they confirmed that they decided to take an additional interim measure to suspend Mel Tucker without pay quote, due to new developments before the hearing and with the best interests of everyone, including student-athletes and the university community. That made them sound like, hey, we just the public just found out about this, so now we have to take more action. And here's where it gets kind of confusing to me, because later that day, not during the press conference, they didn't take any questions, apparently, and I, I will say I, I lend some credence to this, Apparently, the athletic director and the president had no idea about the details of the accusation because of the process within that university. The accusation went to a certain office. I forgot the exact name for it, but the one for dealing with with matters like this and, and especially complaints against employees of the university. And after what they had dealt with, with the whole Larry Nasser fiasco, they they've created this whole system where it will keep influence coming from the administration out of the investigative process. So I do see where this is coming from. But as a consequence, all they were being told is, hey, there's been an accusation against Coach Tucker. The process has begun. And they were never exactly told the details. So they apparently only found the details when USA Today published their own bombshell on late Saturday night. And part of what happened there was apparently, as the news is becoming out, Brenda Tracy says uh, her through her attorney that she didn't end intend to let people know that go public with her what her side of this at least at this point and that some local sources had been able to provide her name and that she was involved in in such an investigation and from there they decided well we should get on top of it and tell the story on our side and they reached out to usa today and shared apparently 100 pages of documents on on the subject and from there we got the article that was the bombshell that led to Mel Tucker's suspension. And we'll see where it goes. I frankly would not be surprised if we don't hear a whole lot new, at least substantive, about his status at the university until that hearing is done on October 5th. There's a lot of reasons for it. Certainly, the university wants to demonstrate that they can run their process, um, that they've set up for dealing with such accusations. And if you're more cynical, you know, you would also say that would if they go through October 5th and it's recommended he's terminated, that might you know, free up that contract and that infamous contract, the the $90 million contract that seemed to be almost impossible to get out of without paying him an enormous amount of money. Suddenly you have a, four, a potential for a four-cause termination. But that seems secondary, and I'll give them credit that I think the university is treating that as a secondary factor because they really want to make sure they do this right given all of the terrible press that they earned with what had happened in, prior, uh, in the prior situation that happened at the university. So... Just figured I'd mention that because, I mean, it's been such a bombshell story. I wanted to, to bring it up. But I see we've got several people who want to come up, and I know John's hand is raised. I will let you, John, talk. Then I'm going to go to, let's see. I, I let people up right before you talk, only so that there isn't a technical error where sometimes it doesn't let me hear you talk. That's the reason why I wait until the last second to let folks up. But I promise to let up Nate, uh, um, Ski Mask Smurphy, and then Scott Thompson. I'll go to you guys in that order. But, John, what's going on? Hey, um, well, just a quick question about Caleb Williams. I know you saw the news. It was, you know, such a saying that 
uh, depending on how the uh, Cardinals perform this year, that he and or depending on what he, uh, what team is on the first overall pick, he might go back to USC. What's the realistic expectation of that actually occurring? Because I I really don't think that's I, I think that the chances are minimal, but I think it's a really it's a funny note to to put out there. It's a funny note to put out there, but man, I would hope he gets out there and gets paid. I say this as a USC alumnus who is, I admit, happy to see him playing for us. Um, that game against Stanford was completely unhinged. I did not expect to see USC blow out Stanford at that level, even though Stanford has got a new head coach. Historically, Stanford, even in a bad year, would somehow have USC's number. Um, my favorite summary of the game between USC and Stanford, by the way, because USC got ahead by an enormous amount before kind of just coasting the rest of it, was that the, uh, let me see if I can find it here, the second half could have, should have been an email because the second half was boring. It was, you know, 7-7, no scoring in the third quarter. The game was already settled by the time they got there because it was 49-3 to at halftime. Um, and that three came late. So, yeah, again, Caleb Williams, I don't know if he should stay in college at that point. He's proven enough. But, of course, you know, NIL makes it attractive. And, gosh, if he stayed for another year, I'm sure he'd get even more insane contracts because he's one of the few college football players that even non-college football fans are starting to become aware of. And that I'm not saying it because as a USC fan, I mean, certainly there have been players who've reached that. I mean, Johnny Manziel was arguably a player like that. He started to go beyond uh, just being a, a star player in the college level. But no, I think if, if it would be really curious because it's it's still an extremely violent sport, and at any given moment, your entire career could go down the the tubes. So I I hope he would consider going to the NFL uh, next season. But again, it's an interesting one, and I wonder how much of it is just some, so you know, some boisterousness and some bravado by his father and his father isn't the one who's putting his body on the line so that's my thought on that hey nate you've been really patient what's going on bob what's up man appreciate you uh let me up here and talking again um put your uh space on my uh, checklist to come into tonight so um good stuff as always i'm glad to be a part of it yeah, man, I could talk about uh, college football, you know, until the next morning. So we could go down whatever whatever you want. But, um, you know, I could recap Georgia real quick if you want. Yeah, it's kind of weird, you know, being on a – I'd love yeah, that. Yeah, it, it, kind of weird a little bit being on a Tuesday. Like, I'm already kind of thinking South Carolina, but I get it. Um, Monday for me would be even better, but, um, you know, it, it, it's your setup, so whatever. But, yeah, um, I'll say this about Georgia. I thought they looked – good it was another slow start um number one team in the country i still think they hold that ranking carson beck really got into a groove after again kind of a slow start but i'll run through his uh, numbers real quick you know he's still 171 rating 283 passing yards two touchdowns had the weird interception but if you watch it it, it wasn't even like a real interception it was a bounce off somebody and then uh, another player gets it um Roderick Robinson, who is the uh, freshman running back um, from out in California, had another great game. I think he's going to be a, a key player, even as surprising as it is as a freshman. I think he, he's doing a great job filling in with Deshaun Edwards, which Kirby Smart said in his presser, if um, Deshaun was – if we needed Deshaun, then we would have played him. So that to me says a lot about maybe what we'll see versus South Carolina. He – 
I think he might come into this game, even though we're still picked like 27 points to win at home versus South Carolina. We might see our first Deshaun Edwards um, running back game. Um, Kendall Milton still kind of the focus, even though um, Robinson, you know, led overall with the average. I think Kendall's still our ground and pound guy. And then Dylan Bell was kind of a topic of conversation here in Dog Nation where he's a receiver but was playing some running back uh, uh, reps. And uh, there's a lot of discussion of whether he's going to continue to do that or not. You know, it was asked to Kirby and Kirby kind of made light of it. He's like, hey, he's a receiver. We're going to put him where we want. And you guys may think he looks like a running back or they had this like back and forth. But I think the Dylan Bell thing could be interesting, especially as we go forward with uh, what Bobo wants to do with the system and, you know, the the uh, injuries we have at running back. Um, Oscar Delp had a great game. Um, tight end you know he's a he's a backup to Brock Bowers I think Brock Bowers is kind of put on the shelf because we all know how great he is I, I think that they're just kind of waiting until um, we get into SEC play before they showcase what they want to do with Brock um, that's my opinion but that's kind of what it looks like I, I, I just don't think that they felt like they needed to keep running him with the ball risk injury um, I think that they were getting dealt some more carries or uh, just not letting Brock be like this focus that he's going to be as we go down the SEC play. Um, defense looked amazing again. Malachi you know, Sarks. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, now that you're on defense, I'm really curious to see how the Georgia defense handles Spencer Rattler because he had a great week last week, but now he's facing the Georgia defense. And this is also going to be a great opportunity for the Georgia defense to show themselves against the talent. Maybe the entire South Carolina team's got some Obviously, they have got issues, um, and they're not necessarily going to be a challenger for the whole thing this year. But this is at least going to be a, a really, a really interesting benchmark, I think, to see how Georgia is looking this season against SEC competition. Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, I, South Carolina, you know, they're going to come in, they're going to be fired up, regardless of how they played. You know, the first two weeks. They're going to want to have a little vengeance against Georgia because we destroyed them in Columbia last year. They're going to want to come back in and kind of rain on our parade. So I expect Caleb Williams – or not Caleb Williams. I expect Cesar Rattler to come in and, and play hard, um, try to give it his most. And you're going to see him do some running for sure uh, to try to get first downs and whatnot because the defense of Georgia is still there. They're stout. I mean, we have guys that go in and out on nickel and dime. Malachi Starks is arguably one of the best, if not the best, DB in the country. Jalen Walker hasn't even got started yet, and you're going to see more of him. I, I just think that there's a lot of pieces of the Georgia defense that hasn't even been uh, really played out because of the two games we played. You'll see more and more talent and more schemes that are going to be ran, blitz packages and whatnot, that we haven't done against UT Martin and Ball State. So that's going to happen. And uh, I think South Carolina will definitely give it their best you know, effort. I think it's still probably like a, a 42 to 13 type game. Georgia wins. I think that they cover. Um, but yeah, that, that's my assessment. And then not to just harp all day on, on Georgia, you know, bouncing back to, and, you know, whatever you want to talk about, obviously it's your space. But what do you think legitimately is like the top four right now? I mean, Florida State looks really good. Um, I think Michigan is still easily right there in the mix. 
you know, Texas after the Alabama win. I mean, that game was awesome to watch. I, I was so excited to watch it. I don't think Auburn looked that great, even though it was a late game and all that nonsense out west. But you know, what do you? What are your takes? I, I'm not trying to jump ahead, but I, I'm curious about your top. No, four. no, I think that's a great yeah. question. Cool. I mean, because I think, I think you're absolutely right. Auburn, by the way, I, I still couldn't believe that Cal game. I mean, I it, we're we've reached a point where I can't tell if Cal is good or if Auburn's just. You know, first, you know, give you know, give um, Hugh Free some time to get his program together, or what's what, that game was probably the most surprising to me because I did not expect it, especially before the season, to be as close as it was. Although when Cal took care of uh, North Texas better than anyone imagined, I think on the road, suddenly Cal looked like it had more life than than people had given it credit. So maybe that is Justin Wilcox finally getting them together. But I'll set that aside. The top four nationally. I mean, Georgia still has to be number one in my mind because, granted, I think they've been – people have – I don't want to say slept on them because that's a stupid thing to say. No one's sleeping on Georgia. But they've just been kind of in the background because of the opponents. While Alabama, you know, Texas clearly was a stronger team and, you know, unquestionable. Um, now the question is, are they going to be part of that top four? I – at this point this week, I'm kind of leaning towards, yeah, I do get why they were put in that top four. I agree with Florida State. They look really strong. Michigan, again, they're almost in the Georgia situation where we haven't quite seen them play someone where you're like, oh, yeah, this is exactly who Michigan is. I think the problem with, with ranking right now is because Florida State and Texas seem to have at least had games where they could be benchmarked against a stronger team. USC hasn't done that yet. You know, and that's another problem. So it's it's kind of going to be an interesting question to see. I think it's I don't have a problem picking between those five teams at this point. And even that, I but I, even then, I hesitate. You know, Ohio State, Penn State. There's some strong strong teams there uh, to, to pick from. At this point, I, I feel more confident saying that Georgia, Florida State, and Texas are teams that I'm I'm strong on right now. I'm having trouble f- picking the fourth at this point. Yeah, totally agree with that. And USC is is. I would say probably the team that I look at most most importantly with the schedule and what what they have in front of them. I think that that is probably the fourth um you know there's there's cases to be made for some other teams, you know, yeah, is Penn State legit? Um is Utah legit? I don't think we really know. I mean, with their schedule they could become legit cuz I their, their schedule to me just isn't going to is not going to be um detrimental to them i mean tennessee are, are they i mean austin pay was giving them some problems are they really good are they not um trying to think just down the road ohio state's going to be in the mix we know that i mean there's too much talent there uh, you know i get it you know michigan and ohio state it's usually that game uh what kind of uh, delivers the product of uh, that division but it'll still be interesting to see how that plays out and then gosh i had another team <laughs> drawing a blank florida state oh you know, is Colorado, are, are they legit? Are they not? Yeah, I, I, it's, yeah everyone's kind of just, ESPN's so hype about it. Everyone's hype watching them. But until they play a real team, and we're going to see them play a real team when they play Oregon, and Oregon is, uh, you know, still a team that's in the mix, right? Uh, I, I remember mm-hmm. the team. Um, I want to see how good Colorado is. I think everybody wants to. They got athletes, man. They can run the ball. They can move the ball, you know. 
it, 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 they're fun to watch. Travis Hunter's a stud. So, you know, I think we're all going to watch and see what happens. And then the only other questionable team that I see in the top 10, which I'm not really sold on, I think you could insert a lot of other teams, is Washington really a top 10 team? That one to me is, I just, I, unless I'm missing something, and I very well could be, I don't see how Washington is a top 10 team. If you have more in, insight on that, I'd love to hear. No, but I, I agree. Yeah. That it's kind of, they're in that zone where it's kind of hard to, to pin them just yet. But luckily, some of these Pac 12 teams are going to square off against each other. You know, going back to your Colorado thing, once they assumably will take care of business against Colorado State in the rivalry game, knowing that it is a rivalry game, um, if they can win out September, no one's going to have a doubt. Because not only will they have beat Oregon on the road, because Autzen, I've been there for an away game. It is absolutely a bonkers environment. It's not as big as the other stadiums, but it is so well designed to make that just a, a complete a stress trap for who had, whatever team is on that field. They'll then wrap up with a home game against USC on September 30th. If they can win those three games, I think then people are going to be like, okay, they are for real. And who's going to open that checkbook to give Dion literally whatever he wants to try and lure him away. Um, but well, that's, those are some big ifs. Those are some really big ifs, but uh, I'm just happy we managed to get a guy credentialed to cover that Oregon, uh, probably that, uh, USC Colorado game, regardless if they both teams going undefeated, and I hope they do. That's going to be a hell of a hell of an experience on that sideline. So I'm really jealous of our our photoc who's going to be there for that. Yeah, I want to let up a couple of other folks since I've been really patient. Um, let's go with Ski Mask Smurfy first, and then um, and feel free to stay up, Nate. I, I, I love hearing from you. It's been great. Um, and then you can Thanks, sign Bob. in Appreciate you like. it. Yeah. Definitely. So Ski Thank Mask you. Smurfy, what's going on? I had to unmute myself. Oh. Everything's going pretty well. I just wanted to, I don't know if you talked about the whole chartered Disney battle. and probably I have not. What are your thoughts on it? Um, it's, I mean, I think Disney sort of did a good job in sort of leveraging that, hey, we have Monday Night Football and basically all of Power 5 college football. Perfect time to sort of leverage, leverage, you know, trying to work out a better deal for yourself. But I think also in the follow up, we're sort of like seeing how even the cable companies are sort of viewing the sort of content that they have on TV and how that might eventually affect the contracts that are paid out for sports, particularly college football, especially with um, Disney sort of has a lot of weight in terms of college football now that SEC is going to be exclusively with them now and no longer on CBS. So I think this might be the deal that's sort of like is the canary in the coal mine for how deals might get worked out later between cable companies, which will cable companies, content providers, which eventually will trickle down into the colleges. I want to know what your thoughts may be on that. You know, that's a great question. And what we're seeing is what has been, I've seen it. I mean, in business reports, not in college football reports, what we're just starting to see with this kind of dispute between the, uh, the Disney family of networks and cable provider, and then probably future cable providers is the legacy of of that entire business model slowly unraveling. Because, again, cable cutting has been going on now for many years. A lot of folks who are not sports fans are especially not thrilled when they find out how much of their cable bill goes to pay for that that family of networks, ESPN and, and the other, you know, ABC obviously also uh, carries college sports, but, but the cable channels under that banner. So... We've seen even some cable 
uh, providers start to offer non-ESPN packages just so that they can offer a lower price. Because, again, people are going towards streaming. They're going towards, you know, this kind of a la carte system, which arguably is just as expensive when you add everything together. But this kind of pair, I mean, this is a real shift. This is a, this seems to be an almost irreversible shift. And it came up during some of the more in-depth reporting on the, the failed Pac-12 media deal that led to the conference to basically break apart. Yeah, it was by Apple. Yeah, the, the numbers were not quite as high as what uh, linear cable like the ESPN networks like um, uh, the Fox Sports and, and such, CBS, et cetera, could offer. But a lot of those who were in the know said this, is, this unfortunately just came a little too early the thought is in the next time there's a there's a series of renegotiations for these deals, these media deals, linear cable isn't going to be able to keep up because of this sort of hemorrhaging of, of users. And these, these disputes seem to be a fight over the, the shrinking pool of, of money that's going in. And ESPN knows it still is one of the drivers, or I should say Disney knows it's still one of the drivers of why people will subscribe to cable. But eventually there's a thought that will it, Will it eventually cave in? And and specifically when the next opportunity comes to to negotiate for these deals, will they ever be able to even match the prices they are at now? Um, I know, you know, looking at so in the future, it may be the next round. It's going to be a deal that's more lucrative than what uh, the Pac-12 is being offered by Apple. But it's going to end up being perhaps by one of these streaming services looking to pick up because the cable companies can no longer can no longer compete with that. Or I should say that the linear networks can no longer compete with what the streaming channels can do. So you brought up a really good question, and I think what we're seeing with these battles is, a, is part of this larger picture. We're seeing the, the cable pool shrink in terms of money, and Disney still has that leverage, but it, it, the entire pool that they're fighting for is getting smaller by the day. Yeah, my, my only worry is sort of that sort of uh, inflection point that may occur because, you know, we're all seeing the, the cable cutting that's, that's going on. And most, for the most part, sports is just keeping people on cable contracts. But then you see it in the streaming prices for like YouTube TV and um, what is other one? Hulu Live Sports. And it's way more expensive than everyone's used to paying for cable. And also factoring in like basically like all these. I wouldn't call them third-party streaming services, but all the ones that aren't basically everybody but Hulu and Netflix are all losing around one and a half to two billion dollars a year with the streaming services like Disney Plus, Peacock, and Paramount Plus. So I'm wondering if college football may not have the leverage it has now. Moving, it may not have the leverage now. It may not have the leverage in the future that it has now, given that with these streaming services, everyone's losing money and how that might actually work out for these schools. I'll, I'll admit I'm genuinely concerned about it only because to some extent, you know, college football might be still considered a loss leader. Like you're going to bring in an audience if you, even though you're hemorrhaging money on it. It's like, I forgot what it was, but I know the Olympics for a long time was people were bidding on the Olympics knowing they were never going to make it up, but they knew they were pulling in so many viewers that they could load up those commercials for other network shows. And everyone and their their mother was watching the olympics historically that was how they would approach bidding for the olympics but i'm not sure that i'm granted there's going to be some sophisticated people crunching numbers 
at some of these uh, organizations and these companies. So they'll have a number, but I am concerned it's going to be short. You know, Nate, I see you wanted to add something to this, so we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, appreciate it. I'll make it quick. Um, you know, whenever I can just jump in and uh, offer a couple snippets, I'll, I'll, I'll do so. But um, I think the FUBU TV thing is is one of the best. It, it's, it's geared towards sports. Um, they have the regional channels that people want. Like, for instance, I live in Georgia, and Bally is a big topic, almost an, an eyesore, because people want to watch the Braves. People want to watch the Hawks. And wherever you guys live, I'm sure there's the same types of discussions that happen regionally. So, you know, we've danced around so, several different direct TV, YouTube TV. In fact, I love YouTube TV. I think it's probably one of the best platforms in terms of the interface, but they didn't have Bally. So we were paying for direct TV. We were playing, paying for YouTube TV and we signed up for FUBU and I have ESPN plus and I have SEC plus. So I have all of those and we were like, what are we doing? You know, this is getting, <laughs> this is getting ridiculous. And to Bob's point, <laughs> it was supposed, it was supposed to be, yeah, it was supposed to be, uh, you sign up for this, you get this and it's supposed to be cheaper. Well, you know what? To watch what you want to watch as a sports fan, it's gotten three times more expensive if you think about it. So the last point I'll make is I hope that they figure out a regional service, and I don't give a rip what it is. Disney owning ESPN has become a huge problem. I think they're hemorrhaging big time. I think Bob said that. And I think they're trying to figure out contract negotiations, which has been a problem with Spectrum and DirecTV and yada, yada. But I'll say this lastly. FUBU has been the best provider for me regionally because they're so geared towards sports. And then I still pay for ESPN plus and I pay for S uh, e or SEC plus. And now I guess there's NFL plus too. So dude, it, it's a, it is a conundrum of, of, you know, I won't say the word cause you're recording, but of, of <laughs> things that people don't want to yeah. pay for. So it, it's yeah. Ludicrous. Absolutely. You know, ski masks, Murphy, I know you wanted to follow up and then we'll go to Scott Thompson. Yeah, I just wanted to add one more comment on that uh, with Nate talking about all the places he goes to, you know, get his sports. And and during before uh, Charter, Spectrum, and Disney sort of worked out their deal, uh, I did notice a decent amount of these college football social media accounts were getting caught, um, you know, showing game highlights that had been from, uh, I guess you would call them pirating sites such as Stream East during during this whole battle. And it seems like people are kind of trying to get this sports one way or another. And hopefully they can work out better deals so that pirating doesn't end up the main way that everybody watches it, even though it, it may end up being the only way. Eventually. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Cause eventually if they make it too difficult, people are going to just find another way. And there's always another way. And I think more people would rather do it above board. And obviously for a lot of purposes, we encourage people to do it above board, but um yeah no i absolutely agree hey scott what's going on you've been super patient then after that i promise i'll get to you ronnie and i'll get to you c-dubs yeah i just want to know your thoughts on the pac-12 this year i mean it could be one of the deepest conference and it's kind of a shame that it's the last year that it's here but i mean you've got teams up and down that can play you got usc and caleb williams you got washington that almost reminds you of an Ohio State team that's just got a quarterback and the weapons on the outside. And they actually have defense, too. And then you got Utah that has beat two Power 5 teams already. I mean, and they're down 8 to 10 starters to start the year with injuries. I mean, if they can get healthy, they could be dangerous, too. You got Oregon 
Oregon State's been blowing some teams out too. They look really good. And then you've got like Arizona on Saturday who almost beat Mississippi State if they didn't have the five turnovers. Even Cal, who was picked ninth, played tough against Auburn. You got Colorado, who was picked 11th in the Pac-12, and they're showing out there that other team besides Utah that's beat two Power 5 teams this year. I'm just wondering your thoughts on the Pac-12 being this deep and one of the best conferences this year. Oh, I well, I completely agree. It's it's a pleasant surprise to see them doing so well, and which is also bittersweet. The last their last hurrah, whether obviously whether it continues throughout the whole season. I mean, I love we're still in that stage where it's like we think they're they seem good across the board, but we'll find out how they they actually stack up maybe against each other or against how the the conference does. But yeah, this has been the year where the Pac-12 has been unusually good, and the SEC has been unusually mundane when you look across all the teams. Not. Not saying Georgia is part of that, but, you know, it seems to be a slightly down year. And and that game with Mississippi State and Arizona was kind of a, an interesting moment because you have an Arizona team that has been awful year after year um, in recent years. Really getting a close loss to that Mississippi State team, Arizona State as well. You know, and I'm picking them out because they're they're the middle teams. You know, Cal is the other one. As you said, they everyone thought Cal was going to be awful. And now it's hard to tell, is Auburn bad or is did Cal just kind of rise up? You know, Oklahoma State beat Arizona State, but now I'm still curious to see how they do against Fresno State this coming week because Fresno State seems to be a G5 with a chance to rise up. Although, again, they had a seemingly they were able to win, but they had kind of an off season, uh, an off day last week when they struggled in double overtime, beat Eastern Washington and Eastern Washington. The previous week got blown out here in Minneapolis by a North Dakota state. They held the game at the Viking stadium. So again, it, it's, we're still in that stage where it's like, are people just working out their early bugs? Uh, will they get stronger as the season goes out? But above, you know, the only team that seems to be pretty mediocre right now is Stanford because they re- absolutely stunk it up with USC uh, on Saturday. Because again, they was forty nine to three at the end of the first half. And again, I still love the guy who wrote that the second half of that game should have been an email. But the uh, I, I think you're right. I mean, with Colorado, with I mean, because Colorado is by far the biggest surprise. Colorado, I mean, everyone's saying that no one expected. You know, um, not only prime time, but his son to be such an incredible quarterback. You know, Travis Hunter was well-known in the whole saga of how he got uh, to join Jackson State and then obviously followed them there. But, I mean, to see what they're doing now is tremendous. And by the end of September, I think we're going to have a, sort of a leader in the house in the very least because you're going to see Colorado's going to go on the road and play Oregon, assuming, again, how they do against Colorado State this weekend. USC is going to play Oregon State, but then they're going to play Colorado we're going to see a lot of we're going to get a better set idea of who seems to be one of those leaders in the conference. But as you said, Utah has put up a decent resume. Washington, you know, I mean, it was, I'm glad to hear your thoughts on that because Nate, um, I thought, had some valid questions about what what's bringing Washington its value. And then to see the two the two pack teams, the two pack teams, Oregon State and Washington State have, you know, a solid start to their season as well. Washington State looks really good right now, actually. Um, it it's 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 kind Oregon of it's State. so strange to see this conference having such a great year and and with so many quarterbacks they're absolutely the conference of quarterbacks right now the SEC would be murderous if they had just one or two of these conference of one or two of these QBs on their teams and to be frank a few of those QBs came from there but uh, 
Oregon State is the other team that that you know I sorry not to interrupt just if there's an Oregon State fan in here I'd love to hear like what they you know with DJ being there uh you know he had his trials and tribulations at Clemson but dude that team looks like they could really wreck it up and then they I think they play what Utah week um I'll look it up week five yeah week five five, Utah that that's gonna be a good one right there so maybe the question is I mean, the Pac-12's got eight ranked teams. It, does the winner of the Pac-12 make it to the playoff? I, I mean, you got these teams like Georgia who, I mean, their non-conference is absolutely terrible. Same with Michigan. I mean, Florida State, I, they played LSU, but, like, all these conferences have one good team. But the Pac-12, they have about eight teams that are ranked. I mean, does the winner of the, the Pac-12 make it to the playoff almost regardless or just by making it through that gauntlet? Well, I certainly think, yeah, this the way it's stacked up at this point in the season, the Pac-12 winner has a strong chance. Of course, if there is enough cannibalism and we end up with like a two-win champion, a two-loss champion, that might make it a little murkier, depending on how the other conferences work out. But if we get a at this point a one-loss Pac-12 champ could be could be there, uh, depending on who the loss is and and you know if the conference stays as strong as it's looking at this point. Almost certainly this is probably the strongest they've looked in a long time. I mean, there have been seasons where it just seemed like we needed a perfect champion from the Pac-12 to even have a shot at making the 14 playoff. But this this seems to be in its swan song season, at least in the current lineup, um, the the best one of the best opportunities for the conference to get someone in that uh, someone in that playoff and potentially even a real contender in the playoff. That was kind of the joke last year. It looked like USC before they lost to uh, Utah in the Pac-12 title game when um, Caleb Williams suddenly got, uh, unfortunately got gimpy in the middle of that game and wasn't able to, to run around like he normally does. I was truly believing we were going to watch USC go and get their dream of being blown out in the first round of the playoff. And I say that with complete honesty. USC fans would have been thrilled to watch their team go to the playoff and get blown out in the first round because it would have seemed like progress. But, you know, maybe this will be the year. Except this time, it's not just the honor of being blown out by the eventual champion or, or runner-up. It's it, A Pac-12 team might actually get in there and, and have a real shot. Because, I mean, the only team well, to make the final was Oregon that first year. Washington the, follow-up, made, hmm? the follow-up to that, Bob, is everyone rips on the transfer portal and there and there's reason to rip on it right but then there's the positive with all these transfers that we're seeing from Oklahoma to USC for DJ going to uh, Oregon State like you have to kind of look at the positives there too and again I'm not trying to hijack all the all the talking space but that is a legitimate point about the transfer portal you get players that want to go where they want coaches go where they want then it makes it a little bit more competitive and now we're seeing a better pack 12 so I just had to point that out oh absolutely and I just want to and I'm going to let ski mask Smurfy he had his hand up but I just want to say that's absolutely it I'm, I'm very I read a point that that I think I'm, I'm in deep agreement with now that the transfer portal has allowed some of these really stacked rosters that were to some extent, maybe not using all the talent available to distribute among other teams where they're being used really well. And I remember actually in the comments um, before he came up here, Ski Mask Smurphy and I were, I mean, because I had mentioned that historically we had scholarship limits because there were teams with unlimited scholarships just stacking up rosters to keep, to play keep away. And it was Bear Bryant at Alabama's, you know, favorite thing to do. And then we had scholarship limits, which allowed players to more, more opportunities and teams had to be more judicious about who they were selecting, but Ski Mask Smurphy, what's your thought? 
uh, the transfer portal, honestly. Or, no, no, whatever. Is, you, you, you had your hand up. I know you wanted to come. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, in, it was in terms when Nate started talking about the transfer portal. It's, the transfer portal is honestly one of the best things to happen. So I don't know if how many people actually understand how, like, extremely close it was to almost being slavery for the athletes before the transfer portal came came into being. It used to be the only way you could transfer to a school and not sit out a year is if you already graduated from the school you were originally attending. Before that, to get to transfer out, one, you would have to sit out a year, and two, you would have to have the coach of the team you're trying to leave sign off on you being allowed to leave, which the most common thing that would happen is a team that would want the player would also be in that same conference, and you trying to go to a team in the same conference, that coach would just deny that when, you know, that's the team who's going to actually see you and have actually watched film of you. It's going to be a team who you've actually played before. So it made things very tough. And now these kids are just able to go wherever, which is perfect. Well, for one time, and I think also you get the the 30-day exception for if your head coach gets fired during a certain time period, which I'm sure will probably happen with Michigan State. But the transfer portal, great for the, great for the kids. And uh, Dion and then the head coach at Texas State are sort of like, Revealed that the transfer portal may be the way to rebuild your team and get back better very quickly because Texas State, I think they were around like 65 new kids on the team, and I think Dion was like 86, which most schools aren't going to do be that drastic with an overhaul, but you can see you can just swipe away at all these players who aren't getting a chance to play where they're at and build something that's competitive for you. Absolutely, and... um yeah, I was just thinking of, of some of these transfers like J- JT Daniels, who seems to be doing well at, at Rice. I mean, yeah, they it was Texas they were playing against, but they got that upset against um, Houston in their rivalry game. But, it, but it's fun to imagine all the places he's been. Um, I mean, he got, what, three chances to play Texas uh, with three different teams. And now yeah. here he is. He is uh, he's doing well at, at a new school. Although, again, I understand why some people would want to corral that a bit. You know, yeah. I want to give uh, C-Dubs an opportunity. Oh, go ahead. I was saying you could throw Tate Martell in there as well. I think Tate Martell. Well, Tate, though, Tate didn't really get much of anything out of any place he went. But he was certainly a journeyman um, <laughs> in his process. But, hey, C-Dubs, what's going on? You've been really patient. Hey, can you guys hear me all right? Sure can. Awesome. Yeah, well, uh, as much as I love the Pac-12 being a Utah fan, I want to swing it over to the uh, the opposite coast and talk about this uh, Tennessee-Florida matchup this weekend, and uh, maybe more specifically about uh, Billy Napier and uh, and his team. Um, you know, being a Utah fan, watching the Gators come, come into town, um, honestly, this might be an unpopular opinion. I uh, I thought Graham Mertz played, played pretty well. Um, you know, I, coming out of Wisconsin, obviously he had that Heisman game to, to open the season. I think it was the COVID season he had, and then um, things kind of went down the hill from there. But um, watching him come play Utah, I think he had somewhere upwards of 300 yards. And, you know, he, he honestly did not play that bad. Um, honestly, was expecting a lot worse from him. And, uh, and watching that game, I think the final score is 24-11. Um, the Gators shot themselves in the foot so many times with the – I think it was like the – special teams play where they were punk or receiving a punt. They had two number threes on the field or something like that. Um, it, they just really shot themselves in the foot. And so with this Tennessee team, I think they were coming off a 
some FCS team. I think it was like a PA team or uh, yeah, it was Austin P. Austin P. Yeah. Um, with them, I mean, they, they still beat them pretty soundly, uh, but I mean, not as soundly as a an SEC powerhouse would uh, would be comfortable with, I guess one would say. So, just want to get your thoughts on this matchup this weekend. It being a, kind of an old school rivalry, and uh, yeah, I don't know what what are your thoughts on on Napier's program and kind of the culture he culture he's built there, and then um, your kind of thoughts on on the upcoming game. Well, my thoughts on the upcoming game is still leaning heavily towards Tennessee. I know the players had a players only meeting kind of a moment after that that game against Austin P because it did not go quite how they had imagined. They they had a struggle a bit to to get that pesky team off their back. So to some extent, I think Tennessee, if that meeting is one of those where they really galvanize the troops, they're going to come out swinging and wanting to prove that hey, last year wasn't just a you know blip. To, you know Tennessee is back and. And you know, hey, all the orange teams are back, but you know, you know, they're gonna they're gonna show that they are they're they're gonna be a contender and be a serious contender in the SEC uh, to potentially unseat the the reigning champ Georgia, especially right after Alabama looked you know weak against tech, another orange team, Texas. Uh, to some extent, I wonder how much of that annoyance is also going to be seeing themselves ranked 11 under Alabama. Just under Alabama in the uh, in the AP rankings, that that's got to rankle just a little bit. Um, but with Florida and what's going on with Billy Napier, I, I mean, I it's it's interesting to watch this whole process. You know, I know Florida fans are really impatient with what how obviously the, the he wasn't as successful as they were hoping immediately out of the box how he develops over this season. And again, we're in this kind of weird, like even though we've had a couple of games for teams, it's still not clear who's truly good and who's truly bad. Um, losing against Utah, Utah looks solid. I mean, obviously Utah went and took care of their following game. And, you know, Florida did what they were expected to do against an FCS program like McNeese. This is going to be, I think, the real defining moment for this Florida team. If they look bad against Tennessee, I think it's going to start to get really warm there. I mean, it's already hot. It's Florida. But, I mean, it's going to get warm for them, especially as they get into the rest of their SEC schedule. Of course, there's opportunities to build off of that. They're going to follow Tennessee, which, again, I presume Tennessee is going to win that one with a game against Charlotte, although Charlotte looks – Charlotte has been an entertaining program. First of all, I loved somebody commented that, you know, Bill Pogge being on the sideline – in a tank top and carpenter shorts as he's coaching the team. It's like one of the, everyone were falling in love with him because for a while he, they were putting some serious fear in Maryland before Maryland pulled away late. But uh, again, if they were to lose that team, that would be, I, I don't know if he'd survive the rest of that week. And then they got their, the Kansas and probably the Kentucky and Vanderbilt game, the kind of, so, I mean, they've got a, not as strong of a schedule before they, of course they have the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, in which case Georgia is probably going to roll over them. But yeah, Florida. I'm, I admit, it, uh, the jury's still out there. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I guess a follow up question: if uh, you know, if, if they end up having a similar season to last season, they go on, uh, you know, six and six or six and seven with the the blowout loss to Oregon State in the in the bowl game last year, which you know has a whole other story. Um, I mean, who is the leading candidate for the Gators? I know there's been some buzz about. Um, possibly poaching coach prime up. I mean, obviously, depending on how this season goes for uh, for the buffs. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if there's. Uh, I mean, there's always a candidate. But I don't know. What are your What are your thoughts there for uh, for a possible uh, replacement there? Ooh, I see Nate's got his hand up. I'll let you go first. 
<laughs> man, you're, you're just talking right in my wheelhouse. So I don't want to jump in. It's your space, but you know, I'll offer some insight on, on these uh, combos. I think Tennessee is going to beat Florida. I, I don't see Florida winning this game. Uh, Tennessee's picked to win by seven. Um, based on what we've seen with Billy Napier and uh, Florida so far, it's not impressive. Tennessee is easily the the better team based off what we saw last year and what we're seeing this year. I, I just, even though it's in Gainesville, I don't see Florida winning the game. Now, here it is. College football on Saturdays, any given Saturday, right? It can happen. I'm not saying it can't. I just think Tennessee, I'd say it's at least 65, 35 uh, in favor of Tennessee, um, I, I, I just I can't see Florida winning the game, even though it's at home. Um, there's too many athletes on Tennessee still, and Florida's trying to play catch up. So that's my opinion there. Um, when it comes to Coach Prime, he's going to be a hot topic as we go forth and we watch this Colorado thing. Um, like I said, it's it's gonna it's gonna be interesting how much it calms down when they play Oregon. We'll get a real dose of where Colorado is as a program under Coach Prime. I know they have athletes on uh, on offense. I don't know what they have on defense, really. Um, the The Oregon game will really kind of set the standard. If, if Colorado could, could beat Oregon, then you're really going to see, like, some – the biggest – the biggest buff <laughs> chess you've ever seen out of Colorado ever. So last point, prime is not going to Florida. There's no way he's a Florida state guy. True and true. He went to Florida state. That's his, if there's ever a, a place that he would want to go in college football, it would be Florida state. There's no way he goes to Florida. Um, and I'm not saying that to shame any of the, you know, questions, or whatever, but there's people, I would say Tim Tebow gets involved with Florida on some capacity before I would see prime go to, to Florida. And I'm not saying Tebow is a head coach by any means, but they bring him in there as like a recruiter or like a quarterback's coach or something like that. And then bring in somebody to tandem, uh, the, the Tebow thing as like a strategy play. I would see that before I would see coach prime going to the Florida Gators. He, I, I honestly there's no no amount of money that I, I see Prime taking to go to, to Gainesville. So, two cents. Yeah, one thing Prime does have is already a lot of money. So, I mean, and that to some extent allows him to be judicious in where he picks and potentially just say, you know what, I'm going to stay at Colorado for another year if, if it were to become that kind of a challenge. He isn't, he's already, you know, at some point I, I could see him afford, he can afford to do what he wants to do. And he's clearly shown his willingness to stay you know, even at Jackson State for what people thought, because I think he could have left even a year earlier. And he was like, no, I'm going to stay one more year. So he'll do what he'll do. And I think you're right. To an extent, Florida would, for that very reason, may not be the one he would go to. But of course, who knows? They could be surprising us. Human condition is one of those things where (laughs) we never know how people are going to act until they're actually put in that position. Let's see here. You know, I want to try and get through the last couple of, of folks who've hit request. I see I've got Ron. Uh, let's see, Ronnie J. Yeah, boy, Ron, what's going on, man? What's up, guys? I got to say, this has been an incredibly odd weekend, you know? It was an incredible weekend, actually. I went to some weddings, Rutgers one. I was in, I'm in New York City visiting my friends and family up here, so it's fantastic. But Aaron Rodgers' fucking leg blew up yesterday. So that was really awful. But back to, to college football, because that's what we're doing here right now. There is absolutely no universe... Deion Sanders goes to Florida. No matter how much money they can give him, 
another school will give him just as much money. So he has no incentive to ever go there. If he does, though, that would be awesome. Oh, my God. The sickos content we would get out of that would be so cool. So that would be awesome. And I wanted to, talk so- I wanted to mention something about like what uh, Ski Mask said about the uh, transfer portal. It is good to an extent where it, I feel like we've sort of gone too far with it. With Colorado, for example, where what he did to those kids was so unfair. Just telling them, all right, get out of here. I don't want you anymore. Was I mean, these, these, We're not dealing with adults at the end of the day. We're not dealing with employees getting fired. At the end of the day, these guys are still kids and they are still students. So to just pull the rug out from under them like that is absolutely insane. And one last thing I wanted to mention, because people were talking, someone mentioned USC and the Pac-12. USC is not making it out of the Pac-12. As good as they are, that schedule gets really insane at the end. What I mean, they have Colorado September 30th, which I don't, I don't really know where Colorado actually is, but that's going to be a tough game just because you're, you're playing at Colorado. Obviously, the crowd's going to go crazy knowing that if they beat you, they can keep you out of the playoffs. They have to play Washington, Utah, Oregon. I think I think two of uh, two more of those are away games. So I just don't see a way USC, even if they are as even if they're as good as they are, can just win everything. And if they do, I think they honestly probably deserve to be the number one team in the country. Yeah, uh, I, I just want to know. The Pac-12 could very well return to being the conference of cannibals if uh, all these good teams keep talking about happen. it. And that is that could very well happen again. You know, I see your hand up, Ski Masks Murphy. Did you want to add something real quick? Yeah, I just wanted to go off with Ron. He just said, yeah, what what Dion did when he walked in there and what he said to those kids was, I don't agree with that part of the whole new transfer portal process. That was, I don't know, that's like someone just storming your castle and you didn't know they were arriving. What he did there was awful. But also, another thing on Dion, a lot of people are saying, you know, the whole Florida thing, but from what I've been reading with a lot of analysts looking at things so far, ev- everyone at the NFL level is saying more than likely Dion will end up getting a coaching job in the NFL because apparently I had to look into it. Apparently Shador Sanders has never been coached by anybody but his father. So they're thinking that if Shador leaves this year, next year, at some point soon afterwards, someone will bring Dion up to help coach his son. And, you know, just because he has the ability to do whatever he wants because he's financially stable, maybe that's exactly what he'll do. Well, that'll be a mystery to see. i kind of kind of curious there. You know, Reese, I know you've been really patient. What's up, man? It's been a while. It has been a while. Can you hear me? Sure can. I got three things to say. Um, two are funny, one's serious. Uh, pick your poison. Um... Someone mentioned Florida versus Charlotte in a few weeks. And I would like to say Charlotte needs this game. It's not about football. It's about Dale Earnhardt. Uh, 22 years ago, the state of Florida took Dale Earnhardt away from Charlotte. Um, a second thing is uh, ODU looks really good. As a resident uh, ODU person, uh, offense looks really good. Grant Wilson looks really good. Uh, probably going to be Wake this weekend and get the rest of the season undefeated. Um, third. Someone just mentioned Dion in the NFL, and I would like to put in your head right now, uh, Dion Sanders, coach of the Washington Commanders. Well, we'll see there, and I think I think there was a good uh, thought that he would follow his son. Now, <laughs> ODU, Old Dominion. We'll see if they can make it through. That Sun Belt looks a challenging, and uh, 
Wake Forest I, I don't is, really uh, think they're going to go undefeated, but I would okay. not put Wake Forest this weekend past them. But, uh, but uh, gosh, Sunbelt is absolute entertainment. I'm so glad they're in it. You know, I see a couple of hands up. I'll get to them, and then I'll get, try and get to our next caller. Uh, let's see, uh, John and then Ron. What's going on? Hey, I just want to say it's another ODU guy. Let's go Monarchs. I can't wait to be. Uh, can't wait to see uh, see us whoop Wake Forest this Saturday. I hope. And Ricky, we trust. And Ricky, we trust. Oh God, <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. Yeah, boy, Ron, what's on your mind? So, wait, are you guys being serious about ODU? Are they actually good? Because yes, I mean, ODU is looked, actually good. Um, they looked bad against point. Virginia Tech, and then Virginia Tech looked bad against Purdue. Um, Can I take this one. Yeah, yeah, you go for it, man. Cool. So they looked bad against Virginia Tech. That was true. Um, they didn't look as bad as they have in the past. Look up the first time they, they played. Oh, yeah, uh, I was, was I'm a, I, went, I went to Virginia Tech during that game. I remember that game, the first time. I was on the sideline as a beat Reese was on the sideline. Uh, he was our photog for that game. That's why it's been a while, but Reese was photographer on the sideline. Maybe you got a picture of me crying at it. Upset, for the first upset. Don't forget, come to Norfolk, get robbed, and get upset. Um, <laughs> Wake Forest might find out this weekend. You don't know. Anyways, um, so ODU is utilizing the spread really well, and it's also helping their run game because they're spreading the field out. And this year we actually have a quarterback who has legs and can use them um, as opposed to the very statuesque Hayden Wolf that we had last year. So Grant Wilson is able to run, can run, and runs well. So the spread run for us works because we have a quarterback who actually isn't scared to get hit and isn't scared to run. Um, Jordan Bly, Isaiah Page, and the rest of the receivers, uh, Javon Harvey, are really good. Amori uh, Morrison does not get the credit he deserves on the defensive line. Uh, Lamarion James is a cornerback. Um, also a really good uh, return man. I'm just saying, no ACC team has played at Old Dominion and won. That's actually striking. What, I never even thought about that. What other ones have played there besides Virginia Tech? I, I have no idea. Uh, Virginia Tech twice. Okay, yeah, well, <laughs> that's okay. fucking wild, man. Yeah, I, I don't I want know, to talk I'm about it. I can't get over that first they are, they are good. I, I'd rather not talk about our away the ACC teams. That, that hey, still listen, needs to be I was there for the first one, <laughs> and it was cathartic. Uh, growing up in the state of Virginia, I grew up a Tech fan because, you know, either you're a Tech fan or a UVA fan growing up. Um. I didn't think it would go down that way until uh, uh, um, until it happened. Uh, however, the, I don't know if I ever told you the story, but um, the first play of the game, I got run over on the kickoff because their tight end, Mitchell, um, ran off the sidelines and ran me over. Uh, my head was not on a swivel. Um, I also, I think I was the first to break the fact that the tech quarterback broke his leg at, uh, during the game. Um, but they actually do have a good offense because they have a running quarterback. They actually do have a halfway decent defense. Jason Henderson is a future NFL draft pick, probably top three round. Um, they actually could do this this weekend, and it wouldn't shock me if they got to a bowl game this year. Despite awesome. what my degree says, I am not a homer. <laughs> Well, I appreciate it, Reese. Thank you so much. Let's see. I want to try and get through. Of course. We've got one last caller right now. DJ Beats, you've been super patient. What's on your mind? Man, thank you, bro. Uh, I just kind of want to speak. I'm not necessarily an X's and O's guy, but I want to speak just I'm in the hip-hop world. And 
I'm I'm hearing a lot of rumors. People is are cool with certain NFL guys that you know have people that are in the industry and stuff. And what I'm hearing, man, is a lot of these dudes. And I, I, my homie Nate in here, I see him. We were talking previously, but I've confirmed it. They feel like, man, they could target some of these ads that feel like, oh, my program's in the shitter. All they got to take is uh, some ex-NFL guy to woo the talent <laughs> and put some coaches around. <laughs> it's like get to that point. And, you know, I just you know want to ask the room a question, but uh, what happens if Colorado loses? <laughs> like, it's oh. like, <laughs> it's like they're on this high. And yeah. it's like, because it's really no other stuff. I mean, you got the Mel Tucker thing, some other stuff, but the media's milking this. And Dion is looking. I mean, I never heard of the Big Noon and ESPN at the same damn camp. It's just like, it's it's this crazy. So what happens when the Cinderella ride is over? You know, I I want to see your thoughts on that, man. It depends Dion, on when it happens. Uh, yeah, I agree with what Reese just said. It depends on when it happens. Because it seems like college football want they want them in the playoff. It's like they want this. Well, they're great. They're a great story. You know. I'll be honest. If it happened this week, it would it would not go over well. Only because Colorado State at this point is not on the same level as Colorado. So if that were if, if it were this game, then yeah, no people would be like, okay, no, maybe those other two teams, maybe TC really is that bad this season, and you know maybe Nebraska is just as awful as it seemed through the first two games. But if it's the game after that at Oregon, I don't think they'll be held to that hard of an account. I think no one would fault Dion if he said, like, look, you know, it wasn't going to be a perfect season the first – like, however you'd say it. I'm not even going to pretend to say I could speak like primetime. But I think people would be willing to say, like, all right, yeah, no. I mean, Odson's a tough place to play. Oregon's looking good. No fear there. Or even losing the USC at home. Either of those would, would not be as bad. Although, there'll still be people – if Oregon or USC beat them, or let's say they run the table and then lose at Utah at the end, People would still go, see, I told you. <laughs> no, they weren't as good. It's just because he's such a polarizing figure that folks are just looking forward to that opportunity, I think, to, to say that it's all fool's gold. But at the same time, and, and I do appreciate Ski Masks Murphy, I think it brought this up. Other than Colorado, the other team that did an entire, almost an entire changeover, not at the same level, was Texas State. And Texas State went out and impressed people that first game and then nearly pulled it off again in the against uh, UTSA. And that was a heck of a game. It wasn't, you know, it was tough for both teams involved. Those two teams have, have shown there is a model out there to do what, what people would not like to see done. But if it's effective, ooh, that's going to be that's going to be tough. It's going to be head coaches looking real hard at their roster and thinking about, well, if, if Dion and J.K. Kinney can do it, wh why can't I? Um, Can I iron Jeff in this real quick? Yeah, sure. Then I'd love to um, get the other two. I just, you know, first of all, it ain't gonna happen this weekend. Um, if if Colorado State beats Colorado, hell has frozen over. Um, <laughs> but second point, can you all imagine the meltdown at ESPN if in the same week Aaron Rodgers tears his Achilles on live TV in the fourth play, and Prime loses to Colorado State on prime time with game day? Burn the barn down. <laughs> uh, we might see ESPN fire ever. I can't imagine Stephen A. Smith on Monday morning. He might not uh, show we up. must watch TV. I, you know, I, let's I, see. I, have one, I have one more question. I'm sorry. I want to interject. Do you think, just really quick, do you think going into next year, based on all the shit show that's going on right now, 
that Congress will come in and try to regulate this NIL shit because I know everybody's leaving. I I, I believe Carmani McClain is going to leave. I, that's the shit show in the cell. I just want to see your thoughts on that. That's it. Thank you. I'll, I'll touch on that really quick, and then I'll, I'll let uh, uh, John and Ski Mask Smurfy uh, get to their points. But I used to – I was once a guest on a regular weekly show on NIL. And so my thoughts on this, I don't think Congress is going to be able to get it going just because it's – it. even though we've got all these multiple plans, there's a lot of reasons why I don't think Congress is going to eventually act on it. So I think what we're going to see – with NIL, even though, because the NCAA really wants them to, because at this point we get all the states kind of coming up with their own versions of the law. They're easy baskets for a state legislature. They're very bipartisan. You know, you have states all over the place from Alabama to New York state coming up with rules that are quite loose for the players. I mean, Mizzou kind of Missouri, pardon me, even though it only really benefits Mizzou uh, took the lead on that. And eventually, at the rate they're going, the bigger concern is by loosening the rules for NIL, allowing compensation to expand. You're actually endangering the very the, the biggest the biggest threshold that colleges are trying to keep, which is that the players are not employees. And we're really it's a matter of time. And I think all indications is it's a matter of time, and California's got another law coming through the pipes. And remember, California's law is what kicked off NIL, where the ideas of, of sharing compensation, of sharing some of the, the profits that get to these schools, at some point, there's going to be a challenge where a judge is going to be convinced that, you know what, you're saying they're not employees, but this at this point, it's just meaningless words by effect all of these student athletes are employees. So that, to me, that's the bigger concern of where we're going with all of this. And uh, the thing that may potentially avoid it is something that's always been talked about in the background and the creation of the mega conferences has sort of pushed it into the foreground is do the very top FBS programs depart from the NCAA? Um, boy, it sounds like they, they're transcending into something. But, no, but do they depart and create what was originally called Division Four, which I hated that term because it was in the wrong direction as far as the numbering system goes. But do they go and create a new system where you can compensate the players and therefore avoid dragging all of the Olympic sports or, even worse, for college athletics as a whole, forcing every team, who teams that can't even possibly afford to pay players, into the players or employees world because we always forget the NCAA has divisions that do have some scholarships, but not really. I mean, Division Two can possibly afford you you'd destroy athletic programs if you did that. Um, so that's those are the macro levels. We're talking NIL and, and it kind of burgeons into some other things. But I want to allow. Let's see here: Ski Mask, Smurfy, and then John, and then I'll get to you, Nate. Okay, because we covered a lot of. Yeah, we kind of covered a few uh, topics on that. Yeah, but so DJ's original point about um, Dion and the hype train, um, honestly, right now the, the Pac-12 was a gauntlet for Dion to try to go through. He's got Oregon, USC, UCLA, Oregon State, Washington State, Utah. That's what, seven? Because, yeah, it's eight of them are ranked, so he has to go through the other seven currently ranked schools. It's going to be a tough gauntlet. If he can run the table, the hype's going to get extremely crazy. But if he loses to Colorado State this week, it will be insane. Because, as you said, it's, I think there's only been like – this is like the third time Big Noon Saturday at um, 
and I'm college game day for a early season, regular season, early season game have been at the same school. If all hell will break loose, Colorado State fans are going to storm probably the whole state of Colorado. And they know that. They know that shit. <laughs> yeah, but more more than like, more than like, I put it on like, uh, Colorado has like, on a betting odds, probably would have like a plus 1,500 chance of winning this game. But back to what uh, our host was talking about as far as NIL and sort of like making play, players employ employees is you know this all sort of goes back even he brought up california but it's all sort of really starts with northwestern and how their football team actually tried to unionize in which initially they won then the ncaa pulled different kinds of stunts and got those lawyers to get out of there but yeah this whole nil it has gotten out of hand i mean california started at first and they were going to be the first to sort of do the division four thing because California originally said we're gonna allow they started said we're writing legislation for our kids to get NIL. Then NCAA said if you allow your kids to get paid, we're gonna kick out of NCAA. And then California, all the schools just said, That's perfectly fine. We have enough schools here that we could have a successful college college system that works for us. And now we've gotten to this point where sort of, you know, everything's out of hand. I've been privy to conversations of knowing guys who are going to transfer probably like a week before it even happens because people are throwing NIL money at them, even um, well, I'm not going to put names out there because then someone might take this and run it somewhere, but there's certain high-profile guys who transfer schools because they're NIL packs, you know, we have those, but then you have personal people who are like, hey, I'll just front you $5 million to come to the school to get a percentage of the NIOs, NIL deals you eventually get on the back end. And so, yeah, you're right, it has gone out of hand, but no one's probably going to fix it, like the same reason that, uh, I don't know if anybody watched the Bishop Sycamore documentary, why they couldn't stop Bishop Sycamore. There's so much money involved that people were just able to get away with, no one's going to step in. I <laughs> uh, love it. Well, thank you on that. And I have to just say, maybe another night, because I'm running out of juice myself, but Bishop Sycamore reminded me, I... On RCFB years ago, found a fake college football team hovering on the edge of, um, of the of the game. You know, college that, of fate. That, that, that was that one in Arkansas. Yep, uh, that was my okay. favorite thing I ever dug up when I was at RCFB, and I had a couple of pieces on that that were always interesting. Yeah, and it started in Arkansas, and then it was in North Carolina, but they had basically the same name. Let's see here, John. What's going on? Uh, yeah, I'll just uh, quickly respond back. Um, I think NIL. I mean, I, I think at this point, for anything to really even, I, I think we're we're past we're at a point of no return. I think it would it would take a, literally a, a a a federal judge rule to even even go back to any point from this point forward. Because I think any senator or representative that would try to you know knock NIL down would be, never be voted to anything in in the political office again, especially in a deep South state. There's no chance they wouldn't even win an election for the PTA board. <laughs> NIL, forget uh, forget a general office. They would never touch, sniff anything. They probably wouldn't be able to be allowed to run a Girl Scout troop, nonetheless, run anything that's political. But um, going back to your uh, your question, DJ, um, I really think it, I mean, like, I mean, the, the hype's got to uh, die at some point. Uh, this team doesn't go undefeated. Uh, I mean, the Colorado State is because I think actually. Uh, CF, uh, CFB posted this today. I, I believe Colorado State's their only non-Power 5 matchup the entire year. 
uh, other than that, they are playing all power five schools the rest of the year. And like Ski Mask said, it is the absolute gauntlet of a schedule. I mean, a schedule that I think most teams in general don't don't get out of unscathed. I, I think, you know, what the most realistic situation, and I think still well, most likely builds up the hype train, is probably Dion wins probably, you know, you know maybe you know, eight, nine games and probably gets a nice prime time uh, bowl game spot. Maybe, uh, you know, New Year's six. Maybe, uh, maybe not. Um, but, I mean, I mean, of course, and of course, you know, once they lose, I mean, this, the, the criticisms will come in. But, I mean, the fact that, you know, we he's taking, I mean, taking a program that was, yeah, 1-11 last year and flipping around to this scale already with this hype and this, you know, this, this talent, uh, you know, with players that were playing, you know, a, a step down to playing up to this level this quickly is this. It is amazing. But, yeah, I think the hype train will die eventually. But, I mean, I think this year it's just – I mean, he's done. I think everything he's already already wanted to do already, which is pretty incredible. All right, last thoughts, Nate. What's going on? Yeah, appreciate it, Bob. Um, so nil. I just had to jump in here, and DJ, appreciate you bringing it up. Um, I could go on and on and on about this. We could probably do a two-hour space, honestly. Um, NCAA. I'll just say it right there, right here. NCAA sucks. They, they, we know this. <laughs> This is the whole issue with why we're dealing with this conversation. And um, the federal government actually ruled against them, which is why the NIL got created, right? So once once they got put down and said, you know what, you're wrong, we're going to give the players an opportunity to make money in college, that's what created this whole thing. So off the rip, you know NCAA's opinion is not valid. So what needs to take place is all the deans of the power conference, power fives, they need to come to a, a meeting without the NCAA, and they need to make rules and regulations that govern a new set of standards for athleticism with all the sports. Because, you know, when you look at volleyball, when you look at lacrosse, you look at golf, whatever, whatever it is, which all – Everybody wants all those sports to be scholarship sports at Power 5 Conference and D1 schools, D2 schools, whatever it is, D3. You want them to have an opportunity to play sports. Sports makes the world go round. I mean, billions and billions and billions of dollars garner around sports. You know, hotels, food, you know, everything you want to go through, right? So we ha- we have to keep that and we have to keep it close. It's It's the most important thing that runs the economy. So... You know, like I said, I could make this a three-hour space if you guys want to go into the details. But the point is, NCAA has no governing body over Division One sports. They're just an entity that likes to pretend they do, and they they investigate teams. They get bought and paid for when they want to be. You know, we could go as far back in time when you know they tried to like investigate Syracuse or oh god, Alabama, Georgia, whoever you want to go through. Everybody's been investigated, right? But at the end of the day, they pick and choose litigations and lawsuits they want to go through. But at the the same thing is going on with NIL. So man, I, I can make this the longest <laughs> the longest stand on a soapbox and talk all day long. But the problem is the NCAA is the problem. We need the deans of the universities 
you know, top 10 head coaches to come to an agreement on how you pay players appropriately, whether it be a nest egg or a three to five year deal. Do you graduate college and get paid appropriately? Um, if you, if you don't graduate or you don't attend the college two to two years, there's all these different ways of governing it. I'm not saying I know it, but that's why you have a discussion. The NCAA never has the discussion. They just like to take, a player like Walker out of uh, North Carolina and deny him a transfer, which we all know he should be playing. And then, and then they'll, they'll let another player transfer like Shador uh, go to Colorado. It makes no sense. You have to make it equal for everyone. And the minute you don't, you're going to have all these people hating the NCAA, but they don't know all the ins and outs of why they allow players to transfer. And then, then say, oh, I don't know about NIL. I don't know about it. I'm going to pretend like I don't. It's the same thing they were doing 10 years ago when players were getting paid and all these stories that have come out. I mean, all you got to do is go online and read all the stories of players are finally saying, yeah, I, I got paid 50K to go on a recruiting trip. I mean, come on. We all know that shit's real. It, it's true. It, it's, it's probably the worst thing in college sports in terms of payment, and how we all try to pretend and act like it's not a real thing. Dude, college sports is a multi-billion dollar business. You don't think people are going to try to do what they got to do to, you know, make money and not and not say what they got to say. It's ridiculous. Thank you for letting me talk, Bob. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And guys, I'm going to go ahead and start wrapping this up. Ladies and gentlemen, I wanted to thank you all for joining us. This was a, a great talk. Went on for a bit longer than typical. Usually we go for about an hour. This went for about an hour and 35. So I'm going to go ahead and start wrapping this up. This was RCFB Talk 157. I wanted to thank all of you who came up here and joined the conversation. We do these every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern. I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. I want to thank all of you. My name is Bob Akhayeri. This was RCFB Talk 157. Now I'm hang up and listen.